experience that when you're fishing? If your line gets tangled up, maybe with somebody else's line, maybe it just gets tangled up out there in the water somehow, what are you going to do? Are you going to just cut the line and start all over? You could do that. But if you're someone that likes to fish a lot, you know that every time you do that, you're throwing away money. So what do you do? You find the line and you start untangling it. And my mom was a master of taking small, thin fishing line and spending two or three hours entangling the line. Do you know what that creates? Patience. If you want to have patience, go fishing. Right? Patience is something that many of us, I suspect, wish that we had. How do you get it? When we think about Ephesians chapter 4, and we continue looking at what Jesus or what Paul says when he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received, he talks about humility, he talks about meekness, but then he has to throw in there patience. So this morning, let's look at that. What does Paul have in mind in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, when he talks about patience? How does patience inform my life? I want us to think, first of all, what is the word here that Paul has in mind, that Paul is using when he talks about patience? And then I want us to think about some key passages that talk about patience, and then we're going to step on each other's toes a little bit this morning and think about what that looks like in our lives. So let's start by looking at the passage again. And noticing Paul's comments, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 and verse 2. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond in peace. As we look at this passage, Paul says, Have gentleness, have humility with patience, bearing with one another, having tolerance for one another. That patience is the linchpin of this passage. But what is patience? Is patience really the attribute that I just described of you go out to a dock somewhere and you throw your line in the water and pretty soon it's tangled up and you spend two, three hours trying to untangle that line? Is that patience? Is that really what Paul has in mind here, or does he have something else in mind? Surely the word that's being translated patience here comes from a Greek word that really refers to an attribute of God. The Greeks hardly ever used this word. But it was a word that was used by biblical writers or by translators of the Hebrew into Greek in 200 B.C., to talk about this attribute that God had. And it's the attribute that God had towards Israel when Israel would mess up over and over and over. And instead of God enacting his wrath in all of its might, he had patience. The idea of patience here is the idea of when someone does something wrong and you are completely within your element uh, to chastise them, to discipline them, 
but instead you withhold all of your wrath and all of your anger. That's the idea of patience that Paul is using. It's the idea of withholding all of that wrath. Now, we ought to be careful. Because as scholars point out, this isn't the same type of patience where you just let things go. Because God didn't just let things go with Israel, did he? There are times when God let bad things happen to Israel as a wake-up call and as discipline in order to get their attention because his ultimate goal was their salvation. Think about the history of Israel. They complain in the wilderness. We don't have enough food to eat. We don't have enough water. We can't take this land. Does God completely destroy Israel? No. Do some of them get punished? Yes. They come into the land of Canaan. As long as Joshua is there, as long as Joshua's generation is there, they're faithful to God. But as soon as that generation dies, what happens? Start following the idols. What does God do? He allows somebody to afflict them for a short period of time until a righteous person rises up. God puts a righteous person, a judge, in Israel to say, come back to me. As long as that person is there, they're faithful to God. But as soon as that person is gone, they go right back to their idolatry. Finally, they get a king, Saul. We know how that went. We have another king, David. He was pretty good. They were pretty faithful during that time. Then you have Solomon. He does okay, but he is all these wives. That's always the wives get you in trouble, right? Isn't that the story of Solomon? Maybe it's the fact he had thousands of wives. I don't know. That's probably what gets you in trouble. And so they're somewhat faithful as a nation to him, to God. But then Solomon dies, and you have the split in the kingdom, and Israel completely abandons God. And for 400 years, God continues to send prophets to Israel to call them back to him. Judah, the southern kingdom, is kind of a mixed bag. For about 800 years, God allows them to exist. Until finally, God says, I'm going to allow the Babylonians to carry you away into captivity. And you're going to have to wait there for 70 years. And at the end of 70 years, I guarantee you're going to be calling out to me. And that's what happens. And they come back to the land of Israel. They're pretty good during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. But then here we go again. And finally, Jesus is born. And there's a lot of people in Israel that are excited for the Messiah. And they're looking for the Messiah. And Jesus dies on the cross, and he takes away our sins on that cross. How will we go? Has God carried out all of his anger, all of his wrath? During that course of time, there were those times, those moments when God, even in his patience, allowed there to be discipline. But he didn't completely destroy Israel. That's the idea of patience that Paul is using here. Looking at the attribute of God, rather than completely using anger and wrath and, 
and enacting that anger and wrath. You step back, and you gently guide. Now look at the text again. And notice the context that Paul is speaking. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body. One spirit, just as you are also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What's Paul saying here? In the context, he's talking about relationships in the church. He's talking about our obligation to one another in the church. That we act towards one another with tolerance, with patience. Not tolerance that we sometimes hear in our politically correct world today, which is open up your brain and let your brains fall out. That's not tolerance. Paul's saying sometimes in the church there are things that go on that ought not go on, and we ought to address those things with a spirit of gentleness and humility and patience, correcting, guiding, doing it in love as opposed to going out for blood. Or instead of just letting things go altogether. Because God didn't let things go. But he also didn't just carry out his complete wrath and anger every time somebody separated themselves from him. I want you to think about what we talked about last week. Where Paul uses this word gentleness or meekness. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, he talks about the fact that the fruit of the Spirit includes gentleness. And then in chapter 6 and verse 1, in that same context, he says, If any one of you is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, yet with the spirit of gentleness. And do not be tempted yourself. And so he uses that terminology to talk about the fact that as Christians, we have an obligation to one another to help each other grow in our knowledge of the Scriptures and in living a Christian life. But sometimes we blow it. And sometimes we mess up. And sometimes maybe we're still in ignorance in terms of what God's will is because we're simply new Christians or we're young Christians or we haven't studied like we should have studied. And Paul says when that happens, we have an obligation to each other to go and help each other, but do it with the spirit of gentleness. And it's that same idea. In fact, Paul uses that idea of patience here as another one of the fruit of the Spirit. And it says, show tolerance towards one another in love. Instead of me immediately going to someone and blasting away, I need to, out of love, out of a motivation of love, want them to have that salvation. So I'm not going to just let things go. But I'm going to speak with them in a way that allows them to come back. Have you ever known a person that when they see something wrong, they almost take joy in the fact that they get to be the one to go 
and take care of that wrong. Have you ever known that, that personality type? The type of person that just is really excited to go and just blast away. I saw what you did, and I'm really going to turn the heat up now. I'm really going to show you what it's like to be a Christian. Is that effective? Have you ever known a Christian who approaches non-Christians with that attitude? Is that an effective way to lead somebody to Christ? We have to be careful. We need to recognize the fact that people outside the church, outside of Christianity, outside of Christ, still need Christ, still need Christianity, still need to be in the Word of God. And if we truly love those folks, we're not going to let them just dangle out there, are we? But we have to have patience as we approach them. And that seems to be what Paul is talking about, is our approach towards one another in the church. In this context of Ephesians chapter 4, that seems to be what Paul is talking about within the context of the church relationship, the church family. And he goes on and he talks about that great length here in chapter 4. Let's look at some other passages in which we find this word. I've already mentioned Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. I've already talked about or made mention of Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, the fruit of the Spirit. But look at one other passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you're familiar, if you've had a chance to study Scripture, you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is. It's known as this chapter of love. It's a chapter we like to talk about at weddings, and we should. But it's not really talking about weddings. It's not talking about Valentine's Day. It's talking about the relationships that we have within the church. Notice what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient. And he uses the same word for patient here as he uses in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul says, you want to know what the definition of love is? First of all, it starts out with patience. And really the idea is that Patience stems or grows out of love, agape love, self-sacrificial love. I am patient with you because of love. You're patient with me out of love. It's the idea that I'm not going to just let things go and go and go and go and go, but I'm also not going to come out after you with both guns blazing. I'm not going to expend all of my anger, all of my wrath, and completely destroy. But I'm going to progressively discipline. I had a conversation with someone recently. Actually, I wasn't part of the conversation. I was eavesdropping. Uh, but uh, it was a, a couple of folks, and they were talking about discipline. And this person was a corporate manager, and he talked about uh, progressive discipline in terms of OSHA rules. You know, you break an OSHA rule on a, on a job site, you get a warning. And the reason you get a warning is because that company is responsible for making sure that everybody there is safe. And if you're not willing to follow the rules, the company can get in trouble. So we give you a warning. You say, okay, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do that differently. But the boss comes back a couple weeks later, and you're doing the exact same thing, not following the rules. Again, the company can get in trouble. So now they give you another warning, maybe with a little bit of time off without a paycheck. 
And if those things keep going, pretty soon you're going to get fired. That's progressive discipline. That's patience. Rather than coming in and saying, oh, my goodness, Cynthia, you messed up this bad. Oh, I'm sorry. You are toast. And Cynthia's like, I didn't even know that was an issue. I'm sorry. Too late. I'm sorry. You're gone. Do you see how that's different? And so as we do that in the church, we come and we see Brother Cindy, we see somebody doing something, we say, uh, Brother, did you realize, did, is this really what I saw? Is this really what I heard? Yeah, you're right. You know what? I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have acted that way. And you're completely right. I, help me not to do that again. Or please forgive me for doing that. See, that's progressive discipline. I didn't have to come to that brother and say, you are out of the church. Isn't that the example that we see Jesus using? Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says, if your brother sins, do what? Get on Facebook and tell everyone about it. You see your brother sinning, what do you do? You go and tell Linda. You see your brother sinning in? No. He says, you see your brother sin. Or if your brother sins, you go to him and show him his fault. Progressive discipline. If I come to you in private and I say, you know what, I think this is what I saw, or I think this is what I heard, or did I observe this correctly? Yes. Is there a problem with that? Well, have you considered what God's word says about that? Maybe the person doesn't realize what they're doing is a sin. My dad grew up in a denominational setting that doesn't eat, that particular church does not eat pork. And uh, someone from their church came over to their mother's house. They noticed that they ate a lot of hot dogs. And apparently didn't realize that hot dogs were made out of pork. They weren't, they weren't beef hot dogs. It was, or maybe it was, it was something else, something that was obviously pork. And didn't even realize that that was a pork product. I can't remember what it was. Something that most of us would laugh, laugh at. Okay. Sometimes we do things we don't even really think about it being being wrong. Okay. And just to be clear, I don't think there's anything wrong eating pork. Okay. Give me the bacon, baby. Okay. Uh, but there are sometimes we do things we don't we don't realize what we're doing. We don't realize that that's a sin, or we don't realize that that sets us apart from God's desires and God's will. And, and so Jesus says, "Go and show, talk to your brother in private, and show him his fault. If he repents, you've saved your brother." If he doesn't repent, take one or two others with you and go back to the brother so that everything can be witnessed. Everything can be demonstrated for sure. And if the person still doesn't repent, then you take it to the church. A progression of warnings to say, brother, what you're doing is wrong. You, you need to change that. There are things that's, that are going on here that aren't in the, in the will of God. You need to change that. And you do it out of love. That's the patience that Paul has in mind here. Not, do I cut the fishing line and go spend another 10 bucks on fishing equipment? Or do I try to untangle it? And so Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that patience stems from love. 
Love is the desire that I don't want to see you get lost. And so sometimes I'm going to take a tough stand and say, this has to be addressed, but I'm going to do it in a loving way. Look at what Paul tells the young evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, following, please. And notice what he says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, as a preacher, this is your job. Timothy, as an evangelist, this is what you need to do. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That's pretty, pretty bold witness, isn't it? Who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be in season and out of season. Be ready at any time. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and then notice this, with great patience and instruction. What is the preacher's job? At least in part, preach the word. We get down. Reprove and rebuke, but to do those things with patience and instruction. Have you ever known a preacher that'll call you out? In the middle of a sermon? Have you ever known a preacher that's not afraid to chide someone in public? Is that with great patience and instruction? You have to have that willingness and that ability to go to someone in private when you know that there's something that's sinful or something that's not understood or something that needs to change and to sit down with someone and have a Bible study with them about it. Or talk to them privately and lovingly and, and show them this is what Scripture says. And you do that with patience. You know sometimes this is going to take a progression of training. When you put that word patience with instruction, it's a progression of training. So we've talked about what Paul has in mind here. We've talked about what Paul has in mind here with the idea of patience. But you also have seen some key passages on it. Now I want you to think about what this means for our lives. It means a couple different things for us. I think we can apply this standard, this, this idea to how we live our lives. Think about our families. You know it's difficult to have patience as a parent? Because as a parent, it was good timing, I know. Uh, as a parent, you know, sometimes it's easy to let things go. Wow, man, do I really have to deal with this again? Okay? I mean, quite, I mean let's be honest. Sometimes it is. It's, it's easier just to say, I'm just going to let that roll off my back. And if you do that all the time, what's going to be the outcome? A young adult who hasn't been trained on how to live in this society. A young adult or an old adult who doesn't know how to be a husband or a wife or a family member. A person who doesn't know how to operate in our society, follow our cultural norms and the laws of our land. Because no one has taken the time to say, this needs to stop. Have you ever been to a fine arts performance or performing arts performance? And there's somebody there and it's like they've never been outside their house. You know, they're acting loud, they're acting obnoxious. And you want to go to that person and say, Did, were you never in a school assembly? 
where your teacher said, sit there, be quiet, while somebody else talks? Have you ever never been with your parent uh, who told you, when you're sitting, you know, you need to do it quietly and pay attention? You go to the basketball game, that's where you yell and scream, right? No one has taught you. As a parent, sometimes it's easy. As a school teacher, sometimes it's easy just to let things go because it's easier to deal with it that way. But when you do that, you're not trained. God didn't do that with Israel. God didn't just let things go and go and go and go and go and go. He gave them points of discipline throughout their history, but he also didn't just completely destroy them. He sent them warnings. He sent them discipline. And behind that discipline and behind that patience that he had was the idea there's going to be a judgment at some point. In our working with our children, we don't have to go after them with both guns blazing 100% of the time. But they do need to understand there's a day coming in which there will be a reckoning. And by the way, that doesn't even have to be mom and dad doing the reckoning. It could be God doing the reckoning. But as a parent, I love you, and I want you to be trained in how it is to live in this life. That's one type of patience. What about the marriage relationship? Is there a need for patience? Wouldn't I ask you to put the cat back on the briefcase? Haven't I explained to you before how when you leave the dish rag just sitting in the water overnight and it gets moldy and stinky that I don't like that? You know, do you have to get the washcloth and get it all so soppy wet and throw it at the other person? By the way, these are not real-life examples I'm using at this point. Kimberly wants me to make that clear to you, okay? Uh, but you see how we can treat each other? Paul says be patient. Have patience. It's the same way in our work experience. We work with people we don't like, especially if you work in, a, in an environment where there's lots of people. Right? There's got to be at least one person you don't really like, one person you don't get along with, one person that always does things that irritate you. Be careful that you don't just go in there and start going away with guns blazing. That's going to create problems, right? Paul says, as a Christian, have patience. Use that progressive discipline. Sometimes in a work setting, that's not going to work. I'll just be honest with you, right? Because there are people that don't care. But as a Christian, that's when I have to say, you know what, I've done my, my best. Paul says, as much as it is possible with you, be at peace with all, all people. Sometimes that means I'm just not going to go by that person's desk. I'm not going to, I'm going to avoid that person, not in a mean way, but I'm just going to not put myself in a position where I'm going to be in conflict with that individual. And sometimes that's just the way it has to be. But Paul says, as a Christian, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. And what calling was that? I deserved God's anger, God's wrath, 100%. And he said, I'm going to let you go this time. I want you to understand what you're doing is wrong. I want you to understand that I'm going to send my son Jesus to die for you. And you need to repent and come to me. You need to be united with my son in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism so that you change your life and you choose to follow me instead of walking in the path that you did. And Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, walk in that way.
And the same patience I gave you, you give to others. If you're here this morning and you need to walk with patience in your life or you have other needs that you want the church to be aware of, whatever your need, won't you come? Let's together we stand and sing.